0: Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Joshua chapter 17. Joshua chapter 17, and I will begin reading there with verse 1. And we will work down through verse 18. Give something of the chapter, and we will then give about four or five lessons that can be drawn from this. Joshua chapter 17. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, to wit, for Micah the maker, the the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he had Gilead and Bashan. There also, there was also a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh by their families, for the children of Abiaser, and for the children of Helek, and for the children of. Azrael and for the children of Shechem, and for the children of Hefer and for the children of uh, Shemiteah, these were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, by their families. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilad, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, uh, Melah, no- and Noah, Haglah, Milcah, and Tizra. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, and before Joshua, the son of Nun, and before the princes, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. And there fell ten portions of Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side, Jordan because the daughters of Manasseh had an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the coast of Manasseh was from Asher to Mecmenetha, which that lieth before Shechem. And the border went along on the right hand unto the inhabitants of Entapuah. Now Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua had on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the coast descended unto the river Cana, southward of the river. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The coast of Manasseh also was on the north side of the river, and the outgoings of it were at the sea. Southward it was Ephraim's, and northward it was Manasseh's. And the sea in his border, and they met together in Asher on the north, and in Issachar on the east. And Manasseh had in Issachar, and in Asher, Bethshean and her towns, and Iblia and her towns, and the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, and the inhabitants of Endor and her towns, and the inhabitants of Taanak and her towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, even three countries. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Yet it came to pass, when the children of Israel were waxen strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute but did not utterly drive them out. And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit? See, am I, I am a great people, forasmuch as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the uh, Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be to narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, the hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both they are of Bethshean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people and hast great power. Thou shalt not have only one lot, one lot only. Let me get that mixed straightened up. But the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Our last lesson, uh, the week before, that covered chapter 16, you remember, in which we saw the allotment that was go to the land uh, uh, to Joseph's sons. And chapter 16 actually only covered the son. Of e, or of Joseph named Ephraim that is his second born son, and that chapter made only a mention of Manasseh. And if we come now to this chapter, which gives us then something of the layout for the tribe of Manasseh, and from that account, then you remember we also drew, given several applications. Now in this chapter we see that it speaks of the lot for the tribe of Manasseh, and as chapter verse one here indicates, he was the firstborn of the son of joseph or the son of joseph and uh actually this chapter speaks about several things first is their allotment we see how that they got certain portions of the land we see their boundaries as well then we see the daughters of that family requesting a portion based upon the inheritance that had been promised to them. And then we see the failure of the children of Manasseh to drive out the Canaanites, just as we've seen with the other two tribes that were mentioned previously. And then fourthly, we see their request for more land, and then the answer that is returned unto them. And that will be the bulk then of which we will draw our lessons this morning in regards to this chapter. The first thing we can learn here is that the daughters of this tribe request land. We see that in verses 3 down through verse 6. And if you notice, this actually stemmed from a conversation that had taken place back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 27. And there the, uh, Moses is approached and Moses understands something of the reasoning of the request. And so, by the Lord, he, regra- he grants this uh, land allotment unto them. Because there would be no sons, so the daughters would become into the inheritance. And so now we see the daughters, as it were, laying claim to this inheritance. And here we see then something of the holy boldness of these women to request it. And note in verse 4 that it's not just a holy boldness based on nothing. It's actually a holy boldness based upon the promises and the command of the Lord. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, and before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the princes, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. So what we have here is no presumption upon these ladies or these women here, these daughters. In reality, what we have is a holy boldness and a confidence upon the promises of scripture and would we all be bold whether man or woman uh boy or girl who sees something of the promises of god that we would lay hold of them just as boldly and just as much confidence as these women did here in this chapter so we see here men that we can learn a lesson from these daughters here that they were faithful they believed the promises of god we see other women in the scripture doing the very same thing and they're not just written for other women remember the scriptures are written for both men and women and so we see here something of the great example of these uh, daughters here being faithful to the claim of scripture so again let me remind you men or women for that matter we can learn from this we can learn from this testimony we can learn from this truth how that these Ladies trusted in God. And some of us who are men, and we may think, well, that's just a little below me. Let me ask you then, is your faith as these ladies? Before you look down upon an example that you may not think is fit for you, let me ask you, how is your heart? How is your faith in light of the promises of God? Does it shine forth as these daughters of this tribe? And the second thing I want us to notice here in regards to this is that note here that these are women. In our misunderstanding of biblical womanhood or womanhood, we might be tempted to think that these women are rather brazen. Wouldn't we? But that's not the case. We see an example here of holy confidence, holy boldness, not sinful brazenness by these ladies. It was a biblical boldness that was fitted to them based upon the commandment. Not only the, the promise of Scripture, but the commandment of Scripture. Notice again, therefore, according verse 4, to the commandment of the Lord, Joshua gives them this piece of land. So sometimes we may have a misunderstanding of biblical womanhood. Admittedly, there are limits and there are boundaries placed upon women in Scripture, but we need to be careful not to go beyond Scripture nor fail to come up to what Scripture says in this regard. Look in Proverbs 31. Here was a woman who was the caretaker of her home. And we see her doing some things that perhaps in our view may seem out of the ordinary or may seem a little more uh, brazen than what we would like. But we see the different qualifications and the different uh, character traits of this woman. Verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. In other words, she must have been holding the purse. (coughs) She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She wasn't homebound, was she? She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and portion to her maidens. She cons- Notice verse 16, and this is where I was actually going with this. Because here they were wanting that land. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. Notice that. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. Here's a woman who has some business savvy about herself. Now, obviously, this is all done within the headship of her husband. But nonetheless, her husband can safely trust in her that she can go out and consider a field and purchase it. Now, it's true in the law, under the law that if she went out and made an oath and her husband finds out about it, he had the right, the authority under God to break it both for as a, as, a, as, as a husband and also as a father to, her, to his children, his daughters. So, if he was okay with this, then this was a lawful, as far as God was concerned, consideration here. We don't think like that, do we? And of course, there's other things in here that certainly would uh, encourage us to maybe rethink some biblical ideas in regards to women yet there are some prohibitions we see in scripture as well upon women and while ladies you may exalt yourself and those other things but you also have to realize there are some things though that you just cannot do and you were never meant to do and you have to live with that just as the men have to live with particular things in regards to their boundaries for instance first timothy 2 Now I'm trying to be balanced. I'm trying to tell you what you can do and I've also tried now telling you what you can't do. There are boundaries. And men, we need to be men enough to recognize both these things. Just as there were boundaries in the amongst the land there of Israel, for them, there are also boundaries in our everyday lives before God. Both with children With husbands, with wives, with mothers, with women, with men. These things are defined by God. Notice 1 Timothy 2 verse 11. Let the women learn. Now, he's talking about church here. He says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer. And the word there means allow. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And it's not just because of sin that that's true. What is it? For Adam was first formed, then Eve. That's the reason he gives, first of all. He says there is a creation order here as to why ladies, women, the females are not to stand up and to teach, but they're to learn being quiet. Why? Because Adam was first formed. That's why. Plain and simple. It has nothing to do with whether you sinned or not. That's in the next verse. But, first and foremost, it's the, it's the right of the Creator to purpose you to be second. And thus that hinders you then, forbids you, suffers you not to teach and to speak publicly, but to learn in silence. Verse fourteen: And Adam was not deceived, but the women, or woman, being deceived, as or was in the transgression. There's your second reason. Not only because the creatorship of God, but also for the fact of sin. And then First uh, Corinthians, chapter fourteen. Let your women, verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches. Well, how far do you take that, Paul? Well, he tells you in the next clause, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Now, of course, what's screamed about this passage is, well, this is cultural. That was at Corinth. I mean, Corinth had uh, temple worship next door where it was idolatry and and, uh, lots of whoredom and fornication. And so you wouldn't want these ladies coming in and, and voicing their opinion. Paul says it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do whatsoever with culture, the particular city you're living in, or anything else. It has to do with what? Look at the text again. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. It has nothing to do with culture, except God's culture within the church. This is law. Not based on the fact of whether we live in a time and an age where perhaps women are more educated even than some men. It's not the case at all. It's a matter of law. It's a matter of rule of law. What does the Bible say? How far do you take this, Paul? Well, look at the next verse. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. So this idea, we all get around and we have this little holy huddle and you give your point, I give mine, and then somebody else gives that. And all the ladies want to have a little say here. They can't even ask a question. And brother, I didn't write this. This is God's word. This is the boundary that God has set up. Now, why would he say that? Well, he tells us in verse thirty five, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. I think we men know what that means, how we feel about that. It just creates within you something of a distaste when you hear <clears throat> excuse me, when you hear women speaking and and voicing themselves in the house of God. And that's exactly the feeling you should get, because that's what that word means there. We see there are these boundaries. We can go to the relationship there in uh, Ephesians 5, and we can see the relationship of husband and wife. Look over there, if you would, please. Again, I'm just setting forth the boundaries here. He said, well, it sounds like a lot more of what they can't do than they can do. Well, I didn't write it, to be quite honest with you. God did. So you'll have to take that up with him at Judgment Day. Ephesians 5, for instance, in verse 20, 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And of course, in verse 25, the husbands to love his wife. Why? Because Christ so loved us, he tells us. And then down in verse uh, 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, Now he gets back into the practical again. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And ladies, if you would like your husband to love you, then you should also would like to be submissive. I realize we all like to play the game of, well, they're not doing their duty, so I don't have to do mine. What if we all thought like that? wouldn't be very pleasant, would it? The divorce rate would be much higher than it already is. Well, then, brethren, there are boundaries. And why I'm bringing this up is that we need to be in Scripture to find out what those things are. Rather than going with what our culture may think, what our generation may think, what the educators tell us we ought to think, and even, I'm sorry to say, what some pastors may tell us to think. We need to go back to the Word of God and have an understanding and have some discernment of the Lord in these matters. And ladies, if you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, let me encourage you this morning to be content within those boundaries. One of the saddest things to see Is discontentment in those callings One of the hardest things that you will have to go through Is to be discontent in those things And in those boundaries We could say that across the board to any of us this morning Whether we're children, whether we're parents Whether we're husbands, whether we're wives Whether we go to the workplace, church Not all of you here are pastors You just have to be content with that. And that's why we spoke last week about something of the directions in contentment. Go back to those if you want to know them. Or ask me afterwards. I still have them in my notes. The third thing we can learn from this lesson is that we see another failure of God's people to drive out the Canaanites. You know, this is placed here purposely. It's not just off the wall. It's just not off the cuff. Uh, Joshua making some space in his book so he can have 20 something chapters rather than uh, uh, less. Instead, these are here, I think, to kind of warn us. Not only that there's remaining corruption, not only in us, not only is, are there problems on the outside of the church that you and I as the people of God have to face. And so we're going to have those trials And temptations in life. But brethren, I think they're also here for another reason. And it's to show us that an example goes a long ways. Remember, Judah couldn't drive out his. We read in the next chapter that Ephraim could not drive out his enemies. And now we see Manasseh doesn't do it either. What does this show us? that examples tend to create trends. Precedents are set by our examples. Judah couldn't do it. And so now Ephraim doesn't do it. And now look, Manasseh doesn't do it. Bad examples always seem to overpower the good examples. You can see that in your own families, can't you? Where'd where'd they come up with that, my children? Well, they got it from us. That's what they came up with. Well, why don't they obey the things I do? Well, because they like the bad examples. We have hearts that are bent towards that. But again, notice here the importance of example setting, whether good or bad. Because they always tend to have consequences. Your example you set. No matter what aspect of your Christian walk, whether it be as you sit here in God's house, whether you when you get up in the morning and you go to your calling, when you see your family during the day or the evening, your wife, your husbands, these things are examples to others. And they do have their consequences for sure. And the last thing I want us to see this morning is we saw from this that Ephraim as well as Manasseh, they're called here the children of Joseph. And look in the context, it seems to be both families involved here. Their request for more land. Their request for more land in the closing aspects of this chapter. They were a bit proud here. We are a great people. I like how Joshua turns that on the well. If you're so great, then go out and conquer the people that dwell in your own land. Are you so great, then you go conquer? Well, of course, they probably didn't like that and that wasn't the way you win friends and influence people by telling them the truth oftentimes, is it? And the panty-waste Christianity that we have today, people don't like to be told what is their responsibilities and why they have failures and the bad as well as the good sometimes. But we can see here that our failures to utilize the gift and the graces that we already possess. And yet you want more. How about being faithful with what we have? He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Why is it a lot of times we don't get much? Because we fail with the small. So often. And yet, I'm a great people. I should have more, is what Ephraim and Manasseh said. Also, it shows us here this morning that we're really never content. We're never content. As we pointed out again last time, there is this idea of contentment as a grace of God. These people, folks here, were not content. They had land. In fact, Ephraim had some very good land. Some of the choice land of, that, of Canaan. And they weren't content with it. They wanted more. They looked around. They thought themselves better than this. And so they began to look at other things and said, that's what I want not content with what god had already allotted to them and that's just like us isn't it we want more and then when we get it we want a little more than that and when i get that i want a little more than that it just doesn't stop and it won't until we learn to be content with what we do already possess To be thankful for it. Again, I like what Joshua tells them. Well, if you're a great people, then go take the land that is yours. Take that mountain and get to work. But we notice back up in verse 12 and 13, they didn't do it completely. And yes, while they were strong, they had them under taxation. They were, uh, they were being taxed. They were used. They became an, a, a, commodity, a commodity to the children of Manasseh and Ephraim. But when they sinned and they went away from God, the tables turned and they became the servers of these enemies of God. Why don't we use what we have? Why don't we be content with what we got? And everybody believes this. I believe it and so do you. You know, there's something greener on the other side of the fence. And most often it's been sprayed with weed. Or uh, with uh, whatever that stuff is. You spray uh, the grass and it kills it. It's not greener. It really isn't. We just think it is. Remember pilgrim and a Christian as they were heading to the celestial city. They got off the main path didn't they? Because it looked easier And then they ended up where you remember children, where did they end up in doubting castle? With giant despair breathing down their neck And was going to kill them the next morning But thankfully Christian remember that he had the promise in his bosom and he plucked it out put it in the lock and as Bunyan said it turned damnably hard that's his words not mine and they were able to leave see we need to cling to those promises brethren just as these holy women did instead of looking down upon them we ought to admire them and take note of them and be content.